You're listening to Ditch the Diet Radio with myself, Rachel Foy, the Food Freedom Coach. This is a podcast for smart, driven, high-achieving women who are sick and tired of their food struggles holding them back from having a life that they really want. So if you're ready to stop the struggle with eating, fighting your body, and ultimately find your own food freedom, then you, my gorgeous, are so in the right place right now. If you love the conversations that we have here on Ditch the Diet Radio, then be sure to check out my website at rachelfoy.com for free workshops, gifts, and much, much more. So are you ready? Here's a brand new episode from Ditch the Diet Radio. Let's go. Right then, so hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Ditch the Diet Radio with your host, Rachel Foy, the Food Freedom Coach. I hope you're all having a brilliant day right now, wherever you may be in the world. Um, and we've got an amazing episode for you, so shall we get stuck in? Okay, so for those listeners right now that are completely new to Ditch the Diet Radio, what's it all about? Well, basically, I believe that we as women, we really need to stand together and to support one another to really start to be the best and most confident versions of ourselves. And in terms of judgment, criticism, definitely no place for that. I think far too many of us, we just spend far too much time being so bitchy to ourselves. We judge ourselves, we criticize ourselves. And, you know, if you seriously want to start making a change for yourself in your life, whether that's your your body, your relationship, your future, wh- whatever it might be, it's about switching all that round and really starting to embrace who we are without the need to change. Um, so Ditch the Diet Radio really brings together some of the leading industry experts on women's empowerment, body confidence, emotional eating, um, healing our relationship with food and loads of exciting topics as well. And they're all interviewed by yours truly. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you to somebody who I'm very, very excited to talk to right now. I know that she's not long gotten up because of time zones, but that's okay. So this is a, um, a fantastic, fantastic, she's a life coach, she's an author, she's also got her own podcast as well, and she helps high-achieving women manage their perfectionism and their bitchy inner critics to create courage and confidence instead. Now, before I introduce you, I actually just want to read something very quickly that she has on her website, and it's something that drew me to her in the very first place. So this is what it says, and just see if you you guys can relate to this, okay? I shall read it. I help women who deep down don't feel good enough. They have bitchy inner critics. They people please, perfect, control, isolate, and numb their way through life. And I help them manage their inner critics, let go of those shitty behaviors, and learn how to embrace courage because courage and confidence equals your kick ass life. How amazing is that? So, without further ado, I want to introduce you to today's guest. It is the delightful Andrea Owen. Are you there? Rachel, can you just follow me around all day and introduce me like as I walk in to go pick up my kids, as I walk into the grocery store? <laughs> totally. That I could do that. Totally. I can walk around with a megaphone. Here she is. Here she is. <laughs> that was just lovely. Thank you. And you're, I'm so happy to be here. No, you're very welcome. So that is you though, right? So that little introduction, yes. the whole kind of not wanting to be this bitchy and a critic, trying to overcome perfectionism, trying to not numb our way through life. This is such a powerful message. So for those of you that might not know much about you, Andrea, could you give us a little summary as to, I suppose, your story, really? What what are you all about? How did this all start for you? Well, yeah, and like as you're reading that, I was thinking the first thing I was thinking to myself is, you know, what I what I also want all your listeners to know is that a couple of things. First of all, that was me, and it, and it's still, you know, the woman that you described, you know, pleasing and perfecting and performing and controlling and numbing, uh, and and yes, I have come a long way from that girl, but I also want everyone to know that those behaviors are normal. And these are the things that we do in order to protect ourselves in order to, um, and and it's a lot of things that we're used to that because of stuff that happened in our family of origin and what was modeled for us and our culture and all these different layers and reasons that these are the things that we do. So I don't want anyone to think if you're, if you're doing those behaviors that you're wrong, you're doing life wrong. (laughs) It's not it at all. It's about shining the light on those behaviors because that's what makes us feel like shit, all those behaviors, and then choosing different ways to behave as much as we can. Mm, 
I think that's quite an, a useful thing to notice there because, you know, I think a lot of women can probably identify with that, that somehow they feel like they are wrong to feel like this or they're wrong to try and control or they're wrong to people please. Right. But I think so many of us do it, right? I, I'm guilty of that. That was a big part of my story as well. Yeah, well, and I think that because of the work, the, the, the kind of women that I work with, and I'm sure you as well, Rachel, is that I work with a lot of women who struggle with perfectionism. Yeah. And what happens is, is they find self-help and they're like, oh my gosh, there's another way. Yes, I'm tired of, of trying to be perfect all the time. I'm tired of doing all of that. And then they get into self-help and they try to be perfect in self-help. And I'm over here like waving my arms like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Nobody gets an A. No, like the, it's kind of you're kind of missing the point. And you know, and I was that too. I got into self help, and I was like, I I can do this. I can get an A at self help. I can get an A at being this best person. And then it was kind of just back to where I started again. So I just want to make that clear as well. I love that the irony of trying to be perfect in self help. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. So so in terms of when you said like this is your story, or obviously you're very familiar with everything that you talk about from a personal experience. Can you remember what was your breaking point as to when you were like, oh my God, I can't do life like this anymore. Like something needs to change. Oh God, which one? Um, yes. Let me just kind of start sort of from the beginning and wherever it takes me, it takes me. So, uh, you know, I grew up in a quite normal family, I guess. And I think the only thing that kind of went awry in my family that I connected the dots much later is I never grew up in a family where we talked about our feelings. I grew up very much in a family of, you know, soldier on, suck it up. Uh, I had a legacy of strong females Mm -hmm. who really deep down, now that I'm much older, realize everybody was just scared and trying to put on a front of being tough and, and all of these things. And not to blame and shame my parents at all. They were definitely doing the best that they could and they did a great job. But I, what was modeled for me was really not letting anyone in, not, um, not trusting anyone. And so it was very much that whole, you know, try to put on this exterior of having it all together and don't let anyone ever see you fall apart ever. So that's, that's what I grew up, um, sort of feeling that my life needed to be like. So how that manifested in my late twenties or sorry, late teens actually was pretty severe codependence. I was also, um, a severe love addict. I was addicted to relationships and to men and, um, just bad love really. And also I on and off through my twenties and eating disorder. And for me, I know a lot of your listeners struggle with that. It was, uh, I struggled with, um, I, I never really struggled with feeling like I was overweight. I just was never thin enough. I was never good enough. Uh, I was never, I, I wanted my outside to be completely perfect. And then I felt like people would love me and like yeah. me and I'd be accepted and never rejected. So uh, I had a love affair with the treadmill and um, I was constantly counting calories and um, ironically went back to school to get a degree in exercise physiology was sort of, which was sort of shooting myself in the foot because that I had an inside <laughs> knowledge of um, calories and thermogenics and all of yeah. those things, which really wasn't helpful. So then I entered the fitness industry. But, um, but really kind of what was my breaking point and stop and, and really forced me to look at just really forced me to take responsibility for my own life because I was, I was a big blamer. Um, which a lot of control people are, codependents are, I thought that everyone was sucking on purpose just to make my life hell. And if they would all just get their shit together, we would all be a lot happier. Yeah. And if they could only, if they would only listen to me, if they would only change and I was pointing fingers and pointing fingers and then blaming everyone for my misery. And so what happened was, is my husband, we'd been together since I was 17 on and off and we'd been married for a couple of years and talking about having our first child um, trying to conceive and he had an affair with our neighbor and she got pregnant oh. and, and it wasn't like, oops, sorry, I still want to make things work with you, Andrea. Let's figure this out. It was, I'm in love with her. I'm going to divorce you. <laughs> and at that point we'd been together for almost 14 years. It was extremely traumatic and I had to start my life over and yeah. I was 30, I was 31 at the time and alone for the first time ever and it really just forced me to look at all of my behaviors and start to enter recovery for a lot of those things, which was, you know, from a clinical standpoint, 
And then also to just start a new life for myself. And, you know, rock bottom, <laughs> rock bottom is an excellent place to start your life over. And, and I'm actually very grateful for the experience. It sounds like you've come a long way since then. Well, yeah, but you know, it's like I have, and I, I, that girl is almost unrecognizable, but there are still traces of her. You know, it's like, I don't think that we ever fully get rid of our former selves. And, and that's, you know, I still get triggered all the time, you know, and I'm remarried and, and there's stuff that happens in my marriage where I'm like, why am I, why am I freaking out over this? Like, oh, because of that. And so it's like, I think I'm constantly forced to look at everything over and over again. You know, I don't ever pretend to you know, I don't think I've ever really done my victory lap yet, you know, and it's like everyone loves a loves a redemption story. But it's like, at the same time, I still kind of, I still kind of feel like I'm still working on it. Like I've come a long way, but I don't think any of us are ever finished. And if anyone ever tells you that they're selling you snake oil, like I hate to break it to you, yeah, but, no, but totally. none of us really are. And I, and I love talking about that and being transparent with my listeners that, like you guys, like stuff still happens and, and I still work on it. The difference now is that here, here's the main difference is that before I used something would happen and it would take me down and just like, I'd go into these spirals and, and just go into all of these behaviors that made me feel, made me feel worse. And it was like this cycle. So now like I still, stuff still happens, but I recognize it very quickly. I'm like, Oh, okay, here's what's happening. I'm in it. And I let myself feel my feelings and I let myself like, it's still terribly hard. And, you know, I let myself have some anxiety and grief and all of these really, really difficult feelings that I never, you know, that I used to just turn to some kind of substance or man or something to try to make it go away. Mm. And I can pull myself out of the hole a lot more quickly than I used to be able to. I used to just stay in the hole. Yeah, I think, do you know what? I think that's such an important message. And, you know, guys, for the for those of you that are listening right now, you know, obviously Andrea's talking about, well, I suppose life in general, but, you know, even with like from the, from the food point of view, because obviously a lot of my work just revolves around emotional eating and binging and food obsession. And actually I, I wrote a blog post not too long ago and it was entitled, I don't always have my shit together because I don't, you know, and even having this kind of perceived, expert status and I don't class myself as an expert I'm just a few steps ahead of everybody else but I still have moments when I turn to food and I still have moments when I overeat and I still have moments when I feel slightly guilty by what I've just done from an an eating point of view but like you've just said Andrea the difference for me now is that I know when I'm in it there's that self-awareness of oh hang on a minute this is that old pattern that's come back what's really going on so it just allows me to kind of well, accept it faster, get over it faster, learn from it faster. And it doesn't turn into like um, a whole weekend of binging. It might Mm -hmm. just be one afternoon of eating too many chocolate biscuits. So I think that's a really important message there that we never fully get over our stuff. And actually, I don't think we need to. I don't think we need to either. And and I, I think that, you know, it's just part of the human experience, really. And I think too, when you were saying that, it made me think like, and, and I, I would love to know, like, when you're in those places and you are totally aware of it, do you feel like there's, there's some kind of an element of self-compassion that you are, yes. that you're kind of allowing yourself to yes. do it? Yeah. I don't want to use the term self-care because that kind of gets tricky, but it, to me, it's self-compassion. Totally. It's mm-hmm. about not stepping into that place of being that, well, I'm sure we're going to talk about this soon, but being that nasty inner critical bitch where you're like, oh my Hating God, what yourself. the hell are you doing? Mm-hmm. I hate yep. myself. You've got no willpower. You're this, you're that. It's more of like, okay, Rachel, you want to eat chocolate right now. What's really going on? What do you really need? Like, what is it really that's happening for you that yep. from a self-compassion point of view we can kind of address and work on. So yeah, it's coming from a totally different place from what exactly. it used to be years ago. And that for me is really powerful. You know, I, don't I did try... that yesterday with Pringles. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so we're on the same page. I, I don't stop myself. You know, if I've got this overwhelming desire to eat something, I don't try and resist it anymore because it's futile. Because what I would rather do is step into that place of, right, I'm wanting this. I'm wanting it for a reason. What's really going on? And that's really allowed me to just move away from that binge mentality, that overeating mentality. Because as you said, it's just about accepting and being compassionate to my needs. There's something that's trying to get my attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I think there's a big difference. Yeah. It's, it's funny you say that because I did that yesterday with Pringles and I knew I wasn't really hungry, but they kept kind of like calling to me in the pantry and, and I'm dealing with something with a, a family member that's, that's having a really hard time and it's just weighing on my heart. And so I got the Pringles out and I sat at my computer and I, I, I was eating them. And as I was eating them, I'm like, oh my God, these are so salty and they're so amazing. <laughs> yes. You know, and I just, I was really actually tasting them instead yeah. of just shoveling them in my mouth. And yeah. then and I knew as I was doing it, like, I'm not really hungry. I don't need these for sustenance. I just want to eat them. And then when I've had enough, I'm going to put them away. Exactly. So I, that's a huge difference for me as it was even 10 years ago. Yeah. And I'm guessing that you didn't eat the entire tube and then feel guilty and then go and eat something else. Yeah. So no. it, it serves a purpose to have compassion when we're eating serves a purpose. Yes. Yes. <laughs> compassion is huge. Totally. Gosh. So, so really then from kind of your experience, I think it's really interesting to actually hear somebody else say you know you don't we don't fully get over all our our stuff our shit really but Mm. that's not the point of being here is it it's about learning to recognize it and address it and deal with it be more compassionate by it um I think I, I don't know whether you've noticed this I don't know whether a lot of um people that start these suppose journeys of um self discovery and personal development that they're actually wanting like a final place they want to finish it they want to get to that end place where they don't emotionally eat anymore where they don't do this where they don't do that and and realistically that's not actually what we're trying to achieve right right and it's it's interesting because when I was first starting when I first kind of admitted to myself that my eating disorder was a lot worse than I ever admitted that it was before I started to follow some, some eating disorder, um, you know, experts. And I went to see this woman speak and she was, it was the first time I had ever gone to actually like put my energy and effort into listen to someone who was in the recovery world. And, and she was talking and she was using the term recovered and, you know, how much better her life was now. And she was just going on and on about how, you know, how different things are now. And I raised my hand and I asked her, you know, I've never been one to, to not ask the card questions. And I said, do you ever feel triggered anymore? Like I, I was basically asking her, like, do you ever fall down? Cause I was, I was, I was, as I'm listening to her speak, I'm thinking, oh shit, like I, I am not her. Like, is this where I'm supposed to end up? Because that sounds very Pollyanna and, you know, and I don't, I don't think I can ever get there. So I was kind of starting to panic. And so I asked her, she kind of laughed and she said, well, of course I do. I live in, we live in America, you know, and, and, and I, I didn't ask, but I was thinking, well, that's what I want to hear about. You know, it's like, yes, (laughs) why aren't you talking about that? Because, and, and really, I don't trust people that, don't ever talk about, like, I'm not asking all people who live in in our industry to talk about what hot messes they are. I think that you can, you can still talk about the during and, and still reassure your people, quote unquote, that you're, you're okay. You know, it's like, no one needs to call 911 for you. I think that there's kind of an art to that. And I think it takes practice, but I, I, I don't, I tend to not trust people who only talk about the good stuff and just really like paint it with this, you know, with these rose colored glasses and don't tell the truth. No, totally. I think you're right. I mean, I think, you know, the words like recovery and recovered, they can be so detrimental because, you know, realistically, obviously we're talking just kind of with food now, it's not realistic to ever get to that place where you're not going to emotionally eat or where you're never going to overeat or where you're never going to crave something. And you know, from my opinion, if a woman doesn't actually realize that it's not her intention to ever get to that place where it never happens, mm-hmm. if she ends up eating the Pringles like you did yesterday, that can be enough to make her feel not worthy, not strong enough, not good enough. Why haven't I done it? Why can't I do it? So it, it kind of adds fuel to the fire. So I think it's really refreshing to hear you as well say, you know, it's not your intention to ever finish this journey. It's always a work in progress, but we adapt along the way. And that's the whole point of what we're supposed to be doing through life. Exactly. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. So based on, I suppose, your experience now with with what you do, um, Andrea, I know that I said in your little introduction, your passion is about helping, suppose, high achieving, smart women actually start dealing with these behaviors, right? Mm-hmm. And where where would somebody start? I know this is a really big question, but let's say there's someone listening right now who can totally appreciate that they 
are a perfectionist, they try and control things, um, perhaps they are quite sort of nasty to themselves, so that little bitchy inner critic, they people please. Where does somebody start? Because this is such a big topic that comes up so often with my clients, it comes up in conversation with other people I've spoken to. It's like, where do you start when you know that those behaviours aren't serving you? Your intention is not to completely get rid of them. So where do we start with this? I think I think that one of my favorite places to start, and this is part of the program that I that I work through with women, both in group and in private privately, is is to look at we call them unwanted identities. So how you know make it, it's easiest to pick an area of your life because if you look at your entire life, it's a little bit too too much at first. So it's like let's pick an easy one like work. So if you look at your job or your career there are going to be usually not, you know, usually these are subconscious, but there's these identities that you would never want to be perceived as at work. So like, let's take you for instance, Rachel, as a, you know, online coach, how would you never want to be perceived by other people? How would you never want to be perceived by your audience? Oh gosh, there's probably so many. It's like, I don't <laughs> Just start listing them. <laughs> In terms of how I wouldn't want to be perceived. Well, I wouldn't want to be perceived as being like non-approachable. I wouldn't mm-hmm. want to be perceived as being um, kind of a bit of a, I suppose, show off and know it all because I think that can be quite, um, yeah, off-putting. I want to be perceived the opposite where people feel like I can be talked to and approached. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to be seen as being um, a bit of a, I suppose, a big head, like egotistical. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Good. Okay. Um, yeah. So what about like, and I'm sure even with like your colleagues or peers, like someone that you just met, like me, how, how would you not want to be perceived by, by someone like me? Um, I wouldn't want to be perceived as maybe not, not knowledgeable. Okay. Um, maybe not, um, not knowing what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay, perfect. So yes, I, and I can totally relate to everything that you just said. And, you know, in addition, Mm -hmm. I would never want to be perceived as, um, yeah, like inexperienced or unorganized or, um, distant and, uh, exact, all of those. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for being honest and sharing. So what ends up happening is that because we all have this list of, of ways that we never want to be perceived is that, typically we are trying our best to run away from those and never be that. So that's where perfectionism comes in. That's where people pleasing comes in, et cetera. So, so I'll give you an example. Um, from my own life, actually, I was interviewing somebody for my podcast and I didn't, she, she wanted this time slot, which was really tricky for me. And against my better judgment, I said, yes, because I really wanted to interview this woman. She was someone I admired in the industry. So it was, it was 3.05 PM, which was when my kids were home. And I was out on the back deck with my daughter and I get a notification on my phone from Skype five minutes after three saying, Hey, are we still on? And it's her. And I had forgotten about the interview. It was in my calendar, but I just forgot because it was at an awkward time and I usually don't take interviews then. So I immediately drop into shame because what was happening is that I was making up that she was perceiving me as irresponsible, unorganized, unprofessional. So there's my unwanted identities coming to fruition. So, which I didn't know really if she had was I was making up that she was perceiving me as that. So so anyway, we have this list and what ends up happening is we make mistakes because life happens and we are at risk of being perceived as one of those things that we listed. And that's where shame comes it comes in. And the the magnitude of that is that you know whether we know those things or not, they're running our life. So that's what I ask people to do is to break down different parts of your life and write those things out and the the things that you are terrified of being perceived as. And again, what ends up happening is that inevitably we will fall into one of those somewhere along the way. And instead of practicing what in my work we call shame resilience, which is kind of a mouthful sometimes. <laughs> and I'm certified in the work of Dr. Brene Brown. I don't, I don't know if your listeners know of her. Um, but we, instead of doing that, which I can talk about too, if you'd like, we turn things around and try even harder to be perfect. We might kiss up. Yeah. We might um, bend over backwards for people. We might try 
you know, maybe if, if we work at a corporate job, we might stay late all week to try to make up for it, even though we don't really need to. So we end up doing all these things that never feel good. And that sometimes go against our values and what we really believe in all in order to become this ideal person to get to our ideal identities, which is the other side of this exercise is because we all have these ideal identities too, of how we want the world to perceive us in different areas of our life. Yeah, that's so fascinating. I think everybody can relate to that. As you're, as you're sat here talking, I'm nodding. I'm going, yeah, yeah, I do that. Yeah. <laughs> yep, we all do. And most of the time we do it unconsciously. And when I remember when I was in training and they were giving us that exercise and, and you know, we have to go through the training ourselves and I'm writing it all down. I'm like, oh my God, this is huge. This is really huge. Because again, I, I just want to repeat that part. It's like, even whether you know them or not, they're running your life. Yeah. And I think it can be really empowering to know them and to get them down on paper so you can see where you get triggered. And that's all it is, is, is realizing your triggers. So when that woman sent me that notification and I realized I had made a mistake, I was in a huge shame trigger. So instead of just falling down that rabbit hole of, oh my God, Andrew, you're such an idiot. Why would you even make that decision in the first place when you knew and, and going and just berating myself? Yeah. I can instead say, okay, I'm in it right now made a mistake and I can just apologize and, and move forward and forgive myself for it and know better next time yes. <laughs> to, not, to not schedule something like that. So is forgiveness a big part of this then? Do you think oh, that most yes. of us need to be a bit more forgiving with ourselves? <laughs> yes. It's, it's, it's about being flexible, but yes, you said it, it's about being forgiving and forgiveness is so complex and complicated and you know, whether you're talking about self-forgiveness or forgiving other people. And um, yes, it's about just really talking. It goes back to the whole adage of talking to yourself like you would somebody that you care about deeply. Mm. Yeah, it's total opposite of being the bitch, right? <laughs> it is. It really is. <laughs> if you think about it. I know in just like the context, we're talking a little bit um, about food, but I know from what I used to do, as I'm sure that you did as well, if I'd have eaten something, let's use the Pringles as an example, if I'd have consumed the whole tube because I was just being triggered by maybe something like you said, shame or something, rather than me slip into that mode of I'm going to forgive myself for having done this, it was complete, the bitchy, the critical, the da 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 that makes total sense. Like I can see how that plays such an important role in terms of how we choose to live our lives. It does. It, it really does. And, um, you know, that's not to say again, that I don't find myself, uh, speaking critically to myself. It, it just, it's, it's, I'm very, very quick having done this work for so many years now, I'm very, very quick to notice when it's happening and can choose another path. Mm, definitely. So you mentioned, um, you mentioned Brené Brown. I was going to ask you, actually, I don't know how familiar some of the listeners are. I, I'm very familiar with Brené Brown's work. I absolutely love it. It's just, uh, I know that you said you've done some training and that's kind of the stuff that you're talking about. But um, in terms of these, these like default, would you call them like default behaviors that mm -hmm. we have, like exactly. perfectionism, control, etc. Of those default behaviors, do you think there's any of them that are more difficult to kind of deal with than than others or are they all very closely connected? It's a really great question, Rachel. Um, <clears throat> you know, I really think it depends on the person. Mm. I think that with the women that I work with, and I, I believe that that our our clientele is is very, very similar. I think that the most common ones are numbing. Yeah. And that might look like a lot of different things. It sounds like for your audience it's mostly food. Yeah. But I I think that if you are someone who's numbing with food, you're probably numbing with other things too, whether that's with alcohol or busyness or control, like any kind of escapism, any time, you know, the internet is really um, prevalent now too with, yeah. with social media sites. I think anytime that you are doing anything to escape where I know for me, anytime I'm feeling stressed out or worried or anxious, I will reach for my phone. Yeah. snap <laughs> to it, snap. it. It's so yeah. it's, I notice it so much. Like it's hard for me to even sit in the school pickup line yeah, in the car with just my thoughts. I mean, like if, if sad music comes on, forget it, you know, like I'm reaching for my phone <laughs> to not. 
So it's, it's for me, it's, it's really noticing that and just, and telling myself, Andrea, there's nothing new on Instagram that wasn't there two minutes ago (laughs) that can't wait. And you're, you're okay. So it's, it's really about for me, um, kind of telling myself that I'm, I'm all right to just sit. So yeah, any kind of escapism. Um, so it's numbing. I think it's a lot of perfectionism. Yes. And it's a lot of, what else are the big ones? I think. Quite like control. You know, my, my, control. Yeah. My second book is actually, is, is about all, I'm writing it right now and it's all of the behaviors. There's a lot of them, but the, probably the most prevalent is any, anytime you have a perfectionist, you have somebody who loves control too. Yes. It's micromanaging. It's, it's, um, you know, my, one of my favorites, but, um, yeah, I think those are the biggest ones. And they're just, I mean, I'm kind of thinking about not even people to do with like my clients or people that I, that I know, but actually people that I know personally in terms of women, I'm going to be very general now and just say women in general, but things like suppose people pleasing and trying to control things. You know, I'm thinking like busy mums and I've got like husbands and houses and children and maybe they're working jobs as well. These are not very, they're not, un, they're not unfamiliar behaviors for many of us, right? Mm-hmm. So some of these behaviors, are you just talking about when they become like too much of an issue or yeah. is it just certain people that have these certain behaviors that by default are just not, well, I suppose that they're detrimental to who they are. Well, and I think a lot of it comes down to boundaries. Yeah, I love it's boundaries. that we are so, I know it always comes down to that, comes back to that big B word. I think that we are so afraid to have the hard conversations because many times we are perfectionists and approval seekers. Cause I think that someone, there might be people listening who don't really resonate with being a people pleaser, but they're approval seekers. So they are different a little bit. They very much overlap, but some people don't feel like they say yes all the time when they want to say no, but they still are seeking other people's approval. So I just wanted to make that distinction, but, but yes, I think that it's about being afraid to have the hard conversations and not just really not making a kind of drawing that line in the sand and saying, this is what's okay. And this is what's not okay. Cause we're afraid. Yeah. And as women culturally, I mean, I know over there too, like culturally we are not brought up to stand firm in our opinions and in asking for what we want. We either, you know, we look at those women like, oh, those are the bitches of the world. And those are, you know, that that's too masculine and that's too aggressive. And you don't want to be bossy. You don't want to be, it goes back to those unwanted perceptions. We don't want to be perceived as that kind of woman. And so we make up that setting boundaries is that when in fact it's not. One of my colleagues Randy Buckley, she's been on my podcast. She's great. And she has a, even a course that's called Healthy Boundaries for Kind People. And, and, and my best friend, Amy Smith, she's another one who talks about this a lot and, and about how to stand up for yourself without being a jerk. Because I grew up, I don't know how it was for you, but I grew up watching women who did stand up for, for themselves, but it was confrontational. Yeah. You know, it was, it was abrasive and, and it doesn't have to be like that, but you know, it either, we feel like it has to be like that or we don't say anything at all. And I, I'm here to say like, there's a, there's a happy medium. And Brene Brown teaches us that in her research, she has found that the most boundaried people are actually the most compassionate. Mm. It's very interesting. And, and there's that, yeah, there's definitely a happy medium. I think, um, I think the topic, God, we could probably do just a, a whole episode podcast just on boundaries because this is one Absolutely. of my favorite topics as well because it's applicable oh, for everything. <laughs> no, like boundaries, like whenever I'm working with any of my like private coaching clients, boundaries is such a massive fundamental part of the work that they have to do because whether it's about food or life or as you said, like people and actually speaking their opinions, saying what they mean, stepping into their truth, if your boundaries aren't there all of that is pretty much impossible. And I think a lot of women have got, like you said, the perception of boundaries, even the word boundaries, it can sound so negative as in like, if I have boundaries, I'm going to be this, this, and this, like the, yeah, the hard bitch and the the nasty person. And, and it's the complete opposite. I think it is. I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you on this one, Andrea, but I think so many women in general don't appreciate how powerful healthy boundaries are. Um, and yeah, that's just so important. Yeah. And I, I think like, I never want someone to just like run out and start setting boundaries all over the place. I think that boundaries have to be carefully set. Mm. And I think that 
what that means is really sitting down and and writing out like what's okay and what's not okay for you. And I think this also comes down to a matter of self-trust and that because when women start this process, they're like, well, wait a minute. And the question I get over and over again, when I'm working with someone who's trying to set boundaries is she second guesses herself. She's like, am I being too controlling by setting this boundary? And no, no, no. And I always tell people just like, try to take a moment and get some quiet time and tap, try to tap into your intuition. Like, what does your gut say about this? Mm. And also another question around that is try to think about like a year from now or five years from now. What if I'm walking down the street and I bump into you and you're telling me things are exactly the same at work or with that relationship with that person or, or whatever, how are you going to feel? Are you going to feel like you wish that you would have set the boundary are you, you know what I mean? So sometimes that can be helpful too when you're thinking about setting it. No, definitely. And I can see how, how the, the boundaries is so important with those behaviors that you're talking about, like perfectionism and control and people pleasing and um, yeah, seeking approval. Absolutely. Because we don't set boundaries because we want people to like us yeah. that's seeking approval. Totally, exactly. Right. <laughs> and then we second guess ourselves wanting to set it, you know, cause we don't want people to, to not like us and, um, it really, it just, I just, they are difficult. They are difficult. But what's even more difficult is letting time go on and on and letting people take advantage of you. Cause the thing is, is that they don't know, they can't read your mind. They don't know what you want. And it might come as an initial kind of like, Oh, I, you know, like a shock, like, Oh, this person's asking for what they want. But in the end, you know, especially if you're setting boundaries in, you know, and, and you're, and you have children and they're watching you like the, it's a, it's an excellent model to teach. And even in your friendships, I mean, there's a very cliched quote, but it's cliched for a reason is, is like, we, we, you know, we model for people how they are to treat us. And I think that we, as a culture, we just don't know how to communicate, you know, myself being one of them. Like I, again, I, I have a colleague that says like doing things to get things. It's passive. It's being passive aggressive. It's like, well, if I, you know, if I sigh really loud, maybe somebody will understand what I want. If I give someone the cold shoulder, if I, if I take too many hours to email back, you know, it's like, God, can we just say, (laughs) (laughs) can we not just say what we mean and just have it all over and done with? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I think I'm laughing. I'm laughing actually when you said about having the big sigh. I think I did that with my husband about half an hour ago. Yes, like, so do oh. I. <laughs> Does he not know that I'm going that I'm annoyed by this right now? Yes. <laughs> After all these years. Yes. <laughs> Love it. Um, okay, so so for everybody that's obviously listening right now, and I know that you know you've said that all these default behaviors they're completely normal. You're not trying to get rid of them. You don't want to completely delete them. You don't want to change yourself entirely. It's more about you, well, being aware of your triggers and then having some kind of way of coping with it, I'm assuming. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Having a better way to cope with it. So can you give us some suggestions? In, when you say about coping, are you meaning of actual like coping mechanisms or coping strategies or just having more of an awareness about yourself? All of those things. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, like we've been talking about, awareness is going to be half the battle. And if you follow self-help for any length of time, you probably hear that over and over again. Mm. So the metaphor I like to use is um, like walking into a kitchen at the, the morning after you've had a big party and the lights are off and you turn the lights on and then you like see how messy it is. Love that. <laughs> how much work you have to do. It's the same thing. So like once you get to a place where you know that you're participating in all these behaviors, you know you need to set boundaries. And, and I'm not going to lie, that can be an overwhelming place to be. Mm. it can, when you look around and you're like, oh God, cause you can't unsee it. You can't turn the lights off in the kitchen and go back to bed and just erase yeah. that from your mind. You can't unsee yeah. it, unfortunately. So my heart goes out to you if you're in that place, because it is a tough, uncomfortable place to be. You can't turn the boat around and it's okay if you want to stay there for a little while. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want people to use it as a cop out, but I do want to exercise some compassion to those people and encourage them to have self-compassion with being in that kind of state of limbo. But then once people are ready to move forward, there's, there's a few things. I, the, one of the very first things I work with women on is the key players in their life. Who are the people that you can trust enough that you can call up and say, um, my marriage is in trouble. 
Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what to do. Yeah. And that they'll just listen without trying to fix it. And these, this is tough because uh, I would say, I don't know, maybe 75% of the women that I work with don't have that person. Mm-hmm. And it's for various reasons. Either they haven't been looking for them. They've had a friendship that's fallen apart. They don't trust anyone. They're not reaching out. They're the isolator. It could be a multitude of things. So we work on that. We, I challenge them. I give them lots of vulnerability challenges where they try to nurture these friendships that they have. And then another thing, you know, another strategy is, you know, when you're, you're in these places, it's about, um, like one of the strategies is just, and, and, you know, some people might be rolling their eyes when they hear it. It's just about breathing. I I know like I'm a big breath holder and, you know, for instance, yesterday when I was telling you, you know, it's kind of going through some feeling the feels regarding a family member, um, that's having a hard time. It's, it's just kind of like that, just almost like yoga breathing. You know, I'm not a big yogi. (laughs) I'm really not, but it's just learning how to take deep breaths to move yourself through the emotions because, you know, as a number, which I know a lot of you listening are, we pack that down and pack it down and pack it down and it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. No matter how much food you put on top of it, no matter how much self-loathing you put on top of those feelings, the body is the wisest part of us. I know Rob Bell, um, I love his podcast. He said recently, your emotions are your body's way of telling you the truth. And you don't want to hear it. Yeah. And so we cover it up. And so I was, you know, I was the queen of that. I was like, if I could just find some more space down there, I'm going to shove this emotion down farther and farther. And, um, you know, I could talk all day too about like offloading hurt. And when, when we do that, we either get sick, we get injured, we lash out at people that we care about. We participate in road rage. We lash out at our children. We avoid that's where the whole, like, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. No, it's fine. Just, let's just do what you want. It's, um, it's also called chandeliering where we freak out over, that's what road rage is, freak out over something seemingly uneventful, like something that doesn't have anything to do with anything, but we freak out over it. Like someone leaving shoes out. There's all these ways that we offload our hurt. And, you know, again, for a lot of your listeners, it's numbing. And it, my point is, is that it doesn't go anywhere. (laughs) The pain doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. And it, it, for a lot of us, it manifests with depression and anxiety. And I'm not saying that depression and anxiety aren't a, um, you know, a neurobiological imbalance, but I think that not feeling your feelings definitely exacerbates that. So breathing sometimes just a simple act of, yeah, that's why, um, you know, people in that, in the whole new age era are so big on meditating and yoga because it helps you breathe. It helps you get into your body in order for you to release all of those emotions. Yeah, definitely. I think like you said, so many people when they're in that state of whether it's worry, anxiety, panic, fear, anger, we just don't breathe properly because we're too consumed by by the emotion and it's mm-hmm. quite it's quite surprising how um I, I got a bit into breath work a few years ago just oh, you did do. yeah you kind of like learn these things don't you along your own personal yeah. journey um and I know for myself that that's something that I'm very conscious of that when I start feeling uncomfortable the first thing that I do is actually just focus on my breathing because nine times out of ten I'm not breathing properly I'm shallow breathing there's no rhythm there mm-hmm. And that in itself can just be really powerful. It helps us ground ourselves. We start to feel more in our bodies, like you said. And it just, a lot for me anyway, it is something that I'm very conscious of um, because it helps. So, so yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that one. Yeah, I think, I think too, it's like, I think maybe for a lot of your listeners as well is, is high achieving women, we tend to really like to think and do our way out of, oh yeah situations. Yeah. I don't, but I don't want to feel my way through it. (laughs) And unfortunately that's not how it works. And Renee Brown talks about like our lives being a three-legged stool. You know, one leg is feeling, one leg is thinking, one leg is doing, and you cannot, you can't be stable in your life on a two-legged stool. And I have learned this the hard way. And I have really tried to fight tooth and nail against that. I mean, I've, I've gone kicking and screaming into that, but I'll tell you what, you know, once I let the feelings go through. It's amazing how much better things are. And I, and I want to point out too that something I hear a lot from women and when we kind of dig deeper into why they are numbing their feelings is they are afraid of losing control. Yeah. 
what I hear over and over again is, Andrea, if I open up that Pandora's box, I don't think I can ever close it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I'm ever going to stop crying. I'm in so much pain. And I have, I understand what that feels like. I understand what that feels like. And I think that um, that's where your trusted friends come come in. That's where your journal comes in. That's where um, just kind of trying to, that's where breathing comes in. It's, it's all of these things. I just really wanted to acknowledge that for anyone listening who might be feeling that. Mm, definitely. I think the more, the more that we can become comfortable with feeling uncomfortable, mm-hmm. that already is a massive step towards everything that you're talking about. Absolutely. I think um, I think so many women, as you say, you know, and I, again, me hand hand raised, guilty as charged. I was incredibly good at not acknowledging any of my emotions. Like I was literally just this. Well, this is where obviously all my food struggles came. So I didn't want to feel the pain, the hurt, the anxiety. I just completely switched off from them, and I tried to rationalise and think my way out of these situations and as you've rightly pointed out that doesn't do anything because the emotion's still there and it just starts to Mm -hmm. get bigger and bigger and bigger then it manifests itself in other ways um yeah it's it's quite interesting how so many of us just by default turn away from those emotions and we just don't want to go there Um, yeah you know some something that I often well obviously talk about from a food point of view but you know I always really encourage well listeners now as well if you can start seeing your emotions as being this internal compass and it's actually mm-hmm. guiding you towards the things that need addressing or that need your attention or that need your exactly. forgiveness or that need your whatever it might be rather than be scared of them actually try and embrace them as being this powerful internal guide that we're given for a reason mm-hmm. um, and again that's something that really still helps me I, I don't turn away from those emotions sometimes even though they're uncomfortable I try and acknowledge them of, right, what's really going on? What's, what's trying to get my attention right now? Why am I feeling this way? Um, but that's, that's not been an easy journey either. You know, no. that's something that I've really had to push myself, challenge myself. And even now, I often by default do try not to feel them. But then I'm like, no, I have to. I have to go there. There's something that's there for a reason. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I love that. Yeah. yeah, I love that you're honest with your audience too. Yeah, I have to be. I don't, you know, I, I suppose with like he was saying I don't want to be perceived as someone who has always got my shit together because honestly there were days and I'm like oh my god how can I help women with all this when I still have moments of like really do I know what I'm doing <laughs> that's but, how you help them yeah, yeah exactly so that's uh, quite quite nice to know um right so we've obviously spoken about these default behaviors you were saying about obviously one of the most powerful things to start doing is having self-awareness about them, figure out your triggers um, and then start taking steps towards, you were saying about talking to like a close friend or mm-hmm. actually, or a therapist. yeah, exactly. That's, that's about um, acknowledging, isn't it? Actually taking responsibility. That's a word we've not said yet. Taking mm-hmm. responsibility for these, these things. Yeah. And and that's what I was saying in the beginning of when I was talking about my story is that I had to get to a place where I took responsibility. Mm. I I think we get to a certain age where like, we can't blame our parents anymore. We can't blame our, our exes anymore, our friends that have had that have hurt us. But, but really, yes, those are all circumstances that happened to you and you may have gone through a great deal of pain, but now it's your turn to heal from that and figure out where you're going to go. Definitely. There's, um, as you're talking, there's a quote, and I can't actually think what it is now, but it's something about no matter how uncomfortable like your place might be right now, it's, it's still your choice as to whether you stay there or not. Yep. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, Perfect. Paraphrased. I can't think what yes. it actually is, but something along those lines. Um, okay. So, so in terms of, I suppose, what you're obviously talking about now, um, we've not spoken about your book. I wanted to quickly mention your book because it's something I don't know where I found it. I've found it somewhere. Um, it's 52 ways to live a kick-ass life, I believe. Yes. And this is, this is one of those pick up and just read kind of books, right? You can just like dip in and out of it. Mm -hmm. It's 52 short chapters. And exactly like you said, you can look at the table of contents and see, what what it is that you want to jump to, like what's kind of, which title is jumping out at you. And there's short essays about just kind of wisdom nuggets about how to deal with life. 
I love that. We all need we know we all need help on how to deal with life, right? <laughs> I know, <laughs> myself included. I wrote the book because I needed help with it. I needed to remind myself. <laughs> I love that. No matter how old we get and how wise we become and how much experience we have, we still need people to help us. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And that one's at bookstores and Amazon and all of those places. Fantastic. I think you can get it through like your website as well, can't you? I think I've seen, I've seen it. On that. Um, during the holidays, I run a special, but it's for US only um, that I send out signed copies if you want to. But yes, you can get it on, on Amazon and um, there's different links on my website of where to get it. Awesome. While you're talking about your website, Andrea, can you give us your website? Your or Where can we find out more about you and your stuff? I'm pretty much um, at the handle Your Kick-Ass Life everywhere on Instagram and Facebook. I don't tweet very much. So if you tweet me, I might not get back to you for like a week or two. (laughs) But yes, I'm I'm for sure on Instagram and and Facebook, mostly Instagram. And uh, yeah, my website is yourkickasslife.com. I love that. That just kind of sums up everything that we're talking about, right? When you can get to that place of having your kick-ass life, there's no stopping you. Oh, thank you, Rachel. <laughs> so before we uh, before we finish, just to very quickly summarize, where how well, kind of again, I don't want to I don't want to summarize with a big question because we might end up spending another half an hour talking about it. But <laughs> for those high achieving women right now that are listening and who are perfectionists and who have got these like bitchy inner critics and they know that something needs to shift, have you just got a very quick message that you want to just tell them before we finish our interview? Well, I think I just want to say first that you're, you're normal and, um, first and foremost, but that's, that you don't have to live like that. Like you don't have to live in that place of, uh, of just self-loathing. And I think that, you know, just like a quick exercise there is to, the very first thing I tell people is just to take inventory of where they are the most unkind to themselves. And that's a place to look. Awesome. So that could be like, in terms of how, well, how they judge their bodies or how exactly. they interact with their partners or their job. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. That's a really good place to start. Andrew, it's been an absolute pleasure having you today. Um, Likewise. Maybe we need to come back on and talk about boundaries. Maybe that's an actual podcast topic all in its own right. I'd what do you love think? <laughs> to. Yeah, I mean, I'm still kind of learning. And I was just having a conversation yesterday afternoon about one of my colleagues needing to set a boundary and she was like, Oh, I haven't had the conversation yet. And I was like, I don't blame you. <laughs> I would have put it off as long as I can. So I love, I love talking about them because I'm still, you know, kind of battling it myself. Yeah, no, that's good though. I think often we, um, well, certainly as coaches, I think we often end up being exposed to the areas that we need to work on ourselves in order to help other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it's, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I'm glad to have been able to, to help your audience as well. No, fantastic. Thank you very much. We'll be catching up soon again at one, one point or another. And I'll be putting all your details for everyone that's listening. Um, all of Andrea's contact details are underneath this podcast. So her, um, her website, all her Instagram and all that kind of stuff. So you can follow her and see what she's up to. Okay. Thank you. Good stuff. All right, we'll catch up soon. Um, and guys, for those of you that are listening, do make sure that you register for the latest episode of Ditch the Diet um, um, Radio because we've got some awesome guests that are planned over the coming few months and you won't want to miss it. So have an awesome day, guys. And remember that you can have a life where food doesn't control you. And I can't wait to show you how. I'm Rachel Foy, the Food Freedom Coach, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Ditch the Diet Radio, everyone, with your host, Rachel Foy. That's me. If you've got ever any questions, then you can email me at info at rachelfoy.com. Be sure to check out the website, rachelfoy.com, for your free gifts and other bits and pieces. And if you would like to leave a review or subscribe to the podcast, then please do so. I am trying my absolute best right now to get the most amazing, incredible, and inspirational people on the podcast show. And if there's anyone that you would really like me to interview, then drop me a message and I will see what I can do. Have an awesome day and remember that you can have a life where food doesn't control you. I can't wait to show you how. Bye.